Tim Pratt. I'm a science fiction fantasy writer and editor. I have been doing this since I was six years old. Very slow learning curve since I didn't start publishing until I was in my 20s. But I love science fiction, love fantasy. Welcome to this series with Hugo Award-winning author Tim Pratt, science fiction fantasy writer and poet. Well, you know, you've written over 20 novels. You've won the Hugo Award for your short story, Impossible Dreams, and the recent award for a poem called Soul Searching. So you write science fiction, fantasy, and poetry. We'll talk about the science fiction in a, in a moment. But for now, tell me about the poetry and fantasy. So actually, um, my abiding interest as a writer for a long time uh, was poetry. Like, I wanted to be a poet. Um, and that's actually in college. I did a creative writing concentration in my degree, and my honors thesis was a poetry collection. Um, there's two reasons that I switched my focus more to prose. The first was practical, economical. You know, I make a lot of my living from writing, which would not be the case if I were still primarily a poet. Uh, there's just less money in it. Also, I realized that at my very best, top of my game, perfect combination of inspiration and perspiration, hitting all cylinders, I was, I was an okay poet. Like, I was good. I was a good poet. For short fiction writing, at my very best, on my best day, I'm a very good short fiction writer, you know? So I realized that if I was going to try to really excel, that I had to focus on what my strengths were and try to improve that. Um, because as much as I love poetry, and, you know, obviously I've, I think I've done some good work in poetry, and, you know, the, the Science Fiction Poetry Association, they thought so too. And, you know, I did a small book of poetry early in my career um, called If, if There Were Wolves. But really, like, I knew that my true strengths and, and, and one of my passions was short fiction. So then I had to learn to write novels because that's really where you can make an actual money. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> now, about, uh, about what, you know, how do you figure out what you're going to write about? Some authors live long and boring lives and they use imagination to, to recreate catchy, extreme scenes. Some authors live ex interesting lives. They maybe went through a war like Heinlein or Hemingway and uh, Tolkien. And then they, they bring those experiences to to the typewriter. So, you know, tell me about you. What is it? What, where are you at in that spectrum? <laughs> I, I tend to be fairly conventional. You know, I like the old line about leading a conventional and stable life so that you can be wild and unconventional in your work. I have had periods in my life that were very exciting and dramatic interpersonally or in terms of like being totally broke or whatever. And I found that those were not really conducive because during the fun parts, I was much more interested in having fun than I was in writing. And during the unstable, terrifying parts, I was, it's hard to write when you're corroded by anxiety about whether you're going to be able to make rent. Right. <laughs> so generally I prefer, I, you know, I've been quite stable. I've been in Berkeley now I've been in, 
California since 2000 and in the East Bay for since 2001. I've been at my job, my day job at Locust Magazine, where I'm an editor. I've been there for 20 years now. Yeah, I think it was 20 years in August. So pretty settled at this point. You know, I have... There, there have been uh, exciting periods in my life, which I certainly return to uh, in terms of inspiration occasionally. And uh, I try to, yeah, you meet a lot of people. I surround myself by, uh, with people. My best friend Dawson, who I dedicated one of my first novels to, his his life is traveling. Like all he does is travel internationally. Well, the pandemic kind of put a dent in it, but before that, for years, like he would just travel the world. So, and he's always happy to let me, you know, steal his his life, his stories if I'm looking for uh, for some little detail. But I mean, mostly I just make it up. I read really widely. I talk to people. I research. I read nonfiction. I read fiction, and it all just goes into the big compost heap in my brain and comes out in fiction. Yeah. All right. That sounds cool. Was there any single thing that was necessary ingredient to get you where you're at today? Like, is there a special X factor or something that you somehow... To succeed in any creative enterprise, you need two things. And those things are, well, for the most part, there are, there are weird outliers. But for the most part, you need to be persistent and you need to be lucky. You know, you need to keep doing it even if there are setbacks, even if you don't succeed, right? And you need to be lucky and have it eventually succeed, right? A door has to open for you. Once one door opens, then a lot more, it leads to a lot more doors, right? Nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. Like once you've, once you've proven that you can do some work that you can publish, then it gets just much easier to do it. But you have to catch that initial break. And the way that you maximize your chance of catching that initial break is just by being persistent, keeping at it. I think it was Howard Waldrop who said that you'll either quit writing or you'll get published or you'll die. That's it. <laughs> Um, perhaps not as, not as optimistic as it might initially seem when you really think about it, but, but it's true. Like if you keep at it, then probably you will improve if you keep trying to improve your craft. So, I mean, just, just being, being persistent and being lucky. That said, I, I came from a background where I had no role models in the arts at all. You know, my family is working class. I was, you know, one of the first people in my family to go to college. I think I had an uncle who went to, you know, a seminary that was about as close as it got. And I kind of had to figure out how to live this kind of life when I didn't have any idea how to do it. And part of what I realized was if I don't have those connections that some people have, well, I can create those connections. You know, so I made a point of like, I, you know, I went to Clarion, right? When I was in uh, college, Orson Scott Card has a relationship with the university that I went to. He used to teach English there. So he would do this workshop, this 10-day workshop that I went nice. to like my freshman year, oh, right? Yeah. Like, so, and I mean, really, that was just... Scott was Scott is a controversial figure in the field. Certainly, there are many things I don't agree with Scott about. There are many things Scott doesn't agree with me about. But he was hugely encouraging to me, and he was somebody who told me early on, I think you have the chops to do this for a living, oh, cool. um, which gave me the confidence that I needed. And then I went to Clarion. I was like, I, I will meet people. Then I came to California, and I applied for a job at Locus, right? Like, And through Locus, I have been able to meet everybody who cares to talk to anybody in the science fiction field, right? right? You're at the nexus, like, basically. We're there, you know, and it's, you can create your own opportunities if you're willing, but I had to devote my life to it to do that, mm-hmm. right? Like, in order to make the, I had to make those plans. I had, I had to work for a nonprofit, right? Like, I'm not out, you know, there 
I have uh, friends who are who are writers who are working in the tech industry in various capacities, making tons of money. That wasn't really what interested me. What interested me was a life in the arts. And if I could make enough money to not starve and you know take my kid to amusement parks to ride roller coasters occasionally, that's great. And I've managed that. It's wonderful. But I I focused on creating those opportunities for myself where those opportunities did not naturally exist. So in terms of secret sauce, I guess monomaniacal focus on ah. this as my <laughs> as my career goal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think yeah, that's a because essentially, uh, let, let's, let me like try to clue in the audience on something here. I, I don't know if you've uh, if, if 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 you know if you audience have realized this, but a writer is a type of startup company, and in this case, <laughs> you know, they, the the writer has to figure out where his space is in the world or where is her space in the world. You have to figure out how to deliver something, and you have to figure out how to self judge and create quality, and then you have to somehow. After the writing's done, figure out how to you know turn it into a business. So that that's a that's a lot of hats you have to wear. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I've always had a streak of of DIY stuff in me, right? I come from that kind of let's let's make a zine and staple it together kind of ethos. Um, even as a poet, you know, back in the old days, my first publications were in little little zines that were run out of people's living rooms. And I, I you know, I've done zines. I've done. I've published chat books. My wife Heather Shaw and I edited a zine called Flytrap for years. Uh, and I've done some self-publishing in addition to traditional publishing. So it absolutely is like learning to be a sole proprietorship and learning how to explore all these things. And again, like working at Locus was helpful for that. I learned a lot of stuff about production, about the magazine industry, the publishing industry, that made it a little bit easier for me than if I was just starting out blind. But, you know, we have the internet now. You know, you can you can find out. You can find out how to do this stuff. You can learn from other people's mistakes that they've written essays about. <laughs> Sci-Fi Thoughts wants to expand. We want to grow from not just your podcast player, but to spread to your co-workers, your family, and your friends. But I haven't got any friends. Why, you little... One, two, three... Oh, no, you don't. We know you've got friends who are, who are into the science, who are into science fiction. These are the people who are playing Halo and Stellaris and, and other space games instead of watching college football. There are the ones in the NASA t-shirts who are busy inventing something with their 3D printers. Email them a link to this podcast. Send them a social media request. Heck, even speak to them and tell them that you've enjoyed the show. The main point is to impress upon them how much you enjoy sci-fi thoughts. Tell them to go to the URL sci-fi thoughts.space. Don't keep sci-fi thoughts secret because keeping secrets from science fiction fans just isn't nice. Next episode, more Tim Pratt. Cool. Let's go ahead and do a reading of uh, your, your new novel. Uh, it's actually a collection. 
the alien stars. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's three novellas. So I did this this uh, little bit of setup. I did a trilogy, a space opera trilogy called the Axiom series for Angry Robot. It was called the Wrong Stars, the Dreaming Stars, and the Forbidden Stars, and it wrapped up the story as a, as a trilogy. But it was it's an ensemble cast in all three books. Uh, essentially, the crew of this ship, you know, this group of friends, this found family that works together to save the galaxy. There were a few characters that I really loved who never got the spotlight in the series, right? They were always supporting characters, secondary characters, but I just didn't get to shine a light on them or really let them take center stage like I wanted. So I pitched this idea to do three novellas, each one focusing on one of those characters. And And... How many characters are in this story? In the collection, in the Alien Stars, there are three novellas. There's one focused on the the cyborg engineer, Ashok. There's one focused on an alien named Lantern. And there's one focused on an AI um, named, well, called Shal. His name is a more complicated issue. Uh, But 